0: Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts, people that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malkin. Today, I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as a columnist, author of the little book of anxiety, hungry, tired. <laughs> Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words, in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Kerry Sackville.
1: Hey. Yay!
0: <laughs> it's great to have you. Kerry, how do you um, introduce yourself in social settings?
1: Oh, I'm, I'm pretty uh, confident in social settings, so I'll just usually walk up to people and extend my hand and say, hi, I'm Kerry, and then they say, hi, Kerry, and if they then ask me what I do, which they sometimes do and sometimes don't, then I'll mm. just introduce myself as as a writer.
0: What does that mean to be a writer, Kerry, in your work?
1: Oh gosh, it's it, what it means for me is is I feel like I, I'm finally at the point where I can call myself a writer because it's really that to me I guess is is my dream job. It doesn't necessarily mean that I make a lot of money, um, but <laughs> yes. in fact, quite the opposite. But it means that that the money I do make is is really from from writing things, um, and you know I do some other things as well. I, I speak on TV sometimes and. I have in the past done social media training, but I identify as a writer, and the great, the great, career love of my life is is writing. I'm happiest when I'm writing, and I'm just so. It sounds so corny, but I'm so thrilled that I can make a, a paltry amount of money from it. <laughs>
0: It's the best kind, right? Poultry.
1: Yeah, poultry. Because you appreciate every cent so much. Mm. You know, if I was making packets of money, it just would be boring.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, to have that problem.
1: Yeah, exactly. Shocking.
0: In the context of writing for you, Kerry, is this something that you trained for? Is it something that developed for you as you matured?
1: I... Was always good at writing at school. I remember getting twenty-two out of twenty for a creative writing assignment. Though I, I have a feeling that was partly because the teacher had a bit of a crush on me. She she was uh, quite fond of me. Locked me in a classroom one day after school to discuss my essay writing. Um, so, uh, but I did I, I, I did do really well in English. I loved writing. I loved reading. And when I finished school, I enrolled in a Bachelor of Arts. You know, when you, you go to uni and you see the rolls of toilet paper and mm. they say B.A please help yourself. Um, But I enrolled in a BA and I was studying English and linguistics. And then after about two years, I I freaked out. I decided it wasn't vocational enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I never imagined I could do it uh, as a career. So I left my BA and I studied social work and I trained as a social worker and I worked as a social worker for a few years. And then I ended up in human resources. And after my first child was born, so that was back in, goodness, a long time ago, um, 1999. I really wanted to go and finish my first degree. So I went back and I finished my degree in English and linguistics. And I just loved it so much. And after that, I started writing very, very casually. You know, I'd send out a piece here and there, mm. but I ended up getting published. And then I I didn't really take it seriously until after my third child was born. She was born in 2000 and Seven, and it took a, it took um, a couple of years after that for me to really get into it. Um, but it was it was something that I never took seriously up until my forties. Really,
0: that's a long time to, I guess, have a passion that's bubbling within you to then really come out and and uh, you know be the thing that that you want to do and are known for doing, isn't
1: it? Oh, it's incredibly long, and, and one of my greatest issues is that I, I feel like time is moving so fast and it took me so long to do what I love to do and I feel a great sense of time running out and I haven't achieved nearly as, nearly as much as, as I would like to achieve in my career and I often think, you know, what would it have been like if I actually was brave enough to start back in my 20s um, and I try really hard not to do that because there's, there's really no point looking back. I get that and and also the things that I wrote about really – you know, my, in my books and, and the thing, you know, my columns and, and my blog are things that I couldn't have written about in my 20s, obviously. Um, I didn't have any real-life experience. But I do regret not feeling confident enough to pursue that um, back then. But, but I was just a different person then and it really wasn't an issue. It, it, it just it was, wasn't in my, um, I guess, realm of possibilities
0: to do that. What do you think prompted that that transformation or the change or the confidence? You say you're a different person back then, I couldn't have been a writer. Yeah. That now, you know, you're big, strong carry doing it now.
1: <laughs> oh, God, I'm so not big, strong carry at <laughs> all. Oh, my God. No, I, I, I mean, I wrote about this recently for Sunday Life. I, I'm constantly suffering from imposter syndrome, constantly, and I'm constantly comparing myself to other people. <laughs> Was so much better and more successful than me. But again, I try really hard not to do that. It was just, I, th- I think uh, it was not considering it as a career at all. Uh, I think if I'd set aside tr- trying or set out to try to make writing a career, no matter when it was, in my 30s, my 40s, I-, I wouldn't have had the confidence. But after my son was born, I went back to uni, and I just loved it so much, what I was doing. And so then... I wrote things out of just out of love for writing rather than trying to achieve anything. And mm. I could tell you that it started with the heckler on the back of the Sydney Morning Herald. And I don't know if you know the heckler, but the heckler was it still exists, but in much smaller form. The heckler then was a 750 word column and it took up half of the back page of the Sydney Morning Herald and it was devoted to non professional writers. So it didn't pay. But it was mm. a forum, there was one a day, and it was a forum for any writer to be able to send in a piece and be published you know, in a really um, prominent newspaper with, with huge exposure. And so I sent off one really just because I thought of something to write and I sent it off never imagining it would get published. And I, they actually published about a dozen of my pieces in a short space of time and it gave me this great, I guess, confidence that, that my work you know, it was readable and from there other things just sort of organically happened. I started writing for a parenting magazine and then I was asked to write for a different parenting magazine and I was offered a column in a community newspaper and and so before I knew it I was I was getting paid for my writing as you know, not on a big scale, but little things were happening. And so, you know, over the next few years I I guess I started to think, you know, I could do this more and more and but then it was it was really blogging that that took me into the next uh, I guess level of of writing, um, and that wasn't until you know, after after my third child was born. That wasn't until two thousand and nine. So it was you know it was almost ten years of of sending off bits bits of pieces and seeing what happened before I really
0: committed to it. What was it like seeing that first piece? In in actual newsprint.
1: Oh, amazing! It was amazing, and when I think about it now, you know, it wasn't paid. Um, it, it was for non professional writers, but it was the best feeling. And then the other best feeling ever was when I had my first piece published in Sunday Life, and that was way back mm-hmm. it, back in those early days before I, I started writing professionally. I had really only written for the Heckler and for I think maybe the odd piece for um, a parenting magazine. And I had this idea for a piece, and I thought, "Look, I'm going to send it off to Sunday Life, which was to me the pinnacle of success. I mean, that yes. was that was you know to be in such a a high profile publication that was read so widely, and they actually accepted it. And I was complete unknown; I'd done nothing, and that. Was the most incredible feeling. That really was up there with me. With getting my first book published, I have to say, I mm. stared at that article. They took a photo of me. You know, they came around to my house and did a whole photo shoot. It was the greatest high. I kept. <laughs> I must have made. I, I <laughs> went to the went to the uh, news agent and and made you know ten photocopies of it and put it in folders. And it was just. Brilliant. And what I remember most clearly was my kids were making fun of me because I was wearing a really – oh, was it my kids or babysit. Someone was making fun of me because I was wearing a really wide belt in the photo shoot and they, they thought it was hysterical. I thought I just looked incredibly stylish. But it was great, brilliant, such a high, I still remember it.
0: Wide yeah. belts, all the rage. All
1: the, all the rage, wide belts and wide jeans, fabulous.
0: That's, wow. Yes,
1: I know, I know. Just just prostrate yourself before me. I'm I'm just the fashion icon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, as the accolades, such that they were, belts and all, started yeah. to roll in and, and even now as you write and, and there's lots of people who know you from your writing or you're talking or all of the things that you do, uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, the you, well, your, your book title, The Little Book of Anxiety. How do you manage that?
1: Oh, gosh, I, I have anxiety about a lot of different things, but one of the big ones with my career is, is as I said, imposter syndrome and I constantly feel like I'm just pretending to be a writer, which is weird because I know in my heart I feel like a writer, but in terms of my outward success, I feel like I'm so far behind the eight ball because I started so late and, and obviously if I look to, to aspiring writers who – haven't had anything published yet, and and are working towards that. I realise how far I've come, and I feel you know so mm. so proud and grateful. But then of course, you look to other people who've you know. I went to the writers' festival, and I saw people there who'd written ten, eleven, twelve books, and and I think oh gosh, you know, I'm really just starting. And what I try to do, and it's something that I try and teach my kids as well, is to constantly bring myself back to me and try really hard not to compare myself to other people because there are always going to be people greater and lesser than me and there are always people greater and lesser than all of us. And, you know, if you try and get your sense of self-worth from comparing yourself to others, it's it's a path to unhappiness and destruction. So I try really hard just to focus now on my own goals, what I enjoy doing on the next project rather than look around and think how well am I doing in relation to other people. Um, but it's very it, it's very strange because the, the emails and the messages from people who've read my work and who really like it, or or have got something out of it, or have been helped by, particularly by the anxiety book, is so rewarding, and it it, it means so much. And every single one I read, and I'm, I'm grateful for. But at the same time, you think, why are they sending this to me? I don't deserve this. <laughs> you know, I, I like they. I'm just a you know. A, person who's stumbling through Um, and I'm just sort of pretending to be a a writer and and someone with something to say. So it's this weird dichotomy between thinking, oh, I'm so happy I've I've spoken to someone and thinking, oh, they're deluded, (laughs) you know.
0: What do your kids make of having a famous mum?
1: Oh, I don't see myself as famous and they certainly don't don't see <laughs> as famous god oh <laughs> but my you're on god. the TV Kerry. you must be famous. oh yeah right no oh please look the most famous i've ever been to my kids was actually this week when i went to my daughter's year 2 class at the invitation of the teachers mm-hmm. and talked about the writing process because they're all learning about punctuation and spelling and editing mm-hmm. your work and and adding adding Interesting words, and so they want to get someone who actually writes things to come in. And I showed them a couple of my columns from Sunday Life with my photo, and they were just like blown away. And I've never felt so famous in my life. As all of these kids looking at my photo, <laughs> going, "Wow, that's you!" And some of them are saying, that doesn't look like you," and I don't like your hair. But they they definitely made me feel famous. But oh, in general life, it's not like I get stopped on the street. I occasionally do. In, in writing communities or blogging seminars or writers' festivals where someone might know my work. Uh, and living in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, I'm reasonably well-known in the Jewish community because I wrote for the Jewish newspaper for a while because we yeah. don't have, you know, a huge pool of, of Jewish people in the media in Sydney. So I might get stopped by someone Jewish and say, "Oh, I, I read all your work and I love it, and also your mother taught me art." And so <laughs> it's it's not really necessarily about me. But God, it's not like I get stopped in the in the supermarket or my kids. T- I'm just a mixture of mummy and an embarrassment to my kids. Um, I, I'm the person who uh, dances awkwardly around the house and they just roll their eyes or I say the wrong thing to one of their friends and and they don't want me to come into the room anymore or I burn the chicken. You know, I'm I'm quite awkward in the house. I am. I mean, I've just spent the last two days apologizing to my children because I, I made them two hideous, hideous meals. That's what they think of. They don't care what I do for a living. They're like, why are we having black chicken? And and my poor daughter, my 14-year-old, my loves roast beef, loves it. And I made this beautiful roast beef that was still a bit pink in the middle. She was so excited. And she goes, please don't ruin it, mummy. Please don't ruin it. And, of course, I left it in the oven just for five minutes long. We were basically eating leather straps for, for dinner. And I was so sorry. I yeah. felt so bad. You know, I completely failed them. And I, I mean that. That's what what we talk about and think about. Not my writing. <laughs> I, don't, you know, I don't care. <laughs>
0: Leather straps. Oh, we've all been there. Big, wide leather straps. Oh, it was awful.
1: It was awful. I had to make them schnitzel last night to compensate because it's one of the only things I can make every time without destroying it, Um, mainly because I buy the pre-crumbed kind, you
0: know. Yeah, I know. I understand. We do what we can. I relate entirely. (laughs) Where's the line for you when it comes to sharing publicly, social, those kinds of things, and keeping private?
1: Oh, Yeah, I feel so strongly about this. It's something that that I talk about and write about quite a bit in what that line is. And I think that anybody who writes about themselves or writes memoirs, as I have, or blog posts or columns that are personal, I think there's a very clear line between writing and sharing your own stories and sharing other people's stories. And Mm. I – will write about my own challenges, for example, as a parent or as an anxious person. But I've only ever written about my kids in a very, very broad, almost abstract sense. I've never used their names. I mean, people can mm. search their names if they want. It's, it's not that hard. But I, I want to protect their privacy. No one would recognize my kids from any of my work. You would never be able to pick them out of a lineup or identify their particular personalities. I would never write about my children's challenges and of course, my kids have challenges. Every every kid does, and my kids are all very different and have their own uh, issues and and things that they struggle with. But I've never write about them because that's theirs. I yeah. have never written about my ex, except in very broad terms. You know, he's an architect and and um, likes to drink girly pink cocktails. Yeah, that's that's really all all I, I ever wrote in, in particulars about him. I mean, yes, I wrote a book about marriage and motherhood, but they were all the kind of examples that you would find in any relationship or any parenting situation. Um, and it's a, it's difficult because there are a lot of stories that I'd love to tell, particularly about uh, my family, my family of origin, uh, things that in relation to, to the death of my sister, um, dating, you know, divorce, that I just – can't share because I, I feel so strongly about protecting other people's privacy. And that's maybe where fiction comes in. That's why I'm sort of playing mm. with with writing fiction at the moment because you can you can write about things that you can't write in memoir form if you're concerned about about respecting other people's boundaries. You know, and and I guess I I, I worry sometimes about bloggers who who share a lot about their kids because the kids don't then have a chance to curate their own life stories Mm. Uh, and it's very hard to imagine that when you're writing about a a four or five-year-old or a six or seven-year-old that they're going to one day grow up to be 16 like my son or or 14 like my daughter and, um, you know, they may not want all this stuff out in the media about them. Um, They they may want to change their story and it's it's, it's forever.
0: True. That's very true.
1: I know. I'm very profound.
0: Well, look, it doesn't hurt sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah. You, you mentioned before that you've done some writing for uh, the Jewish newspaper yeah. in Sydney. Yeah. For you, uh, as someone of uh, Jewish heritage, yeah, is is that a faith that you then own for yourself or is it something that is a part of your family history but not anything you embrace yourself necessarily?
1: Oh, it it's something that's, that's really hard for people who aren't Jewish to understand, which is that Judaism – is not just about the faith aspect or the religious aspect. It's actually a cultural uh-huh. um, heritage. So for me, I'm, I'm quite agnostic. I, I don't believe in God. Um, I don't pray. But I feel very strongly about my Jewish heritage, and it informs oh, every part of me. So things like family, uh, focus on family. Uh, we have Friday night dinners with my family, Mm-hmm. Um, with my parents every week. there are There's a very strong sense of community, like in, I suppose in any cultural minority, whether it's Greek community or the Italian or, or Lebanese, you know, there's a really strong sense of community. We all know each other to, you know, it's not even, what, six degrees of separation. It's probably more oh. like two or three. Everybody can trace anybody. So you meet somebody Jewish, it's like, oh, you know, this person, oh, yes, 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 mutual friends. Um, my two of my kids go to Jewish schools, where again it's less for me and them about learning the religious part, but just being with other Jewish kids and and mm-hmm. um, getting a sense of their cultural heritage. I think when when you have a, a heritage that includes something like the Holocaust, where yeah, you know, our, our whole um, Jewish community was there was an attempt to annihilate us, you, you do feel very strongly about maintaining that. That culture and that heritage, so it doesn't necessarily correspond with with the faith for me, but it, it certainly corresponds to a sense of, of community and, and family and rituals and and um, yeah, my kids had my older kids had you know, my son had a bat mitzvah, my daughter had a bat mitzvah, um, and you know we like challah bread and <laughs> sacramental wine. Uh, mm. So yeah,
0: do you find that that then broad like influences? You more broadly, as far as choices that you make,
1: yeah, definitely, definitely. It's 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 very hard to separate that. It's like asking, I guess, an Italian person, what would you be like without being Italian? It's just so much part of me. I went to a Jewish school and I grew up in the Jewish community, mm-hmm. and I really didn't have a close non-Jewish friend till I left school. And now, of course, I do, but it shaped the the kind of values that that um, I hold dear. You know things like a, a huge emphasis on family, and I always get really sad when I hear about people who aren't close to their brothers or sisters. And of course, you have that in the Jewish community too. But there really is a very strong emphasis on on family ties, on on togetherness, on helping each other out, uh, on supporting each other, um, and uh, you, know, you know, the values that, that are true of of any, I guess, religious. Uh, anyone of any religious background, except um, Judaism, is interesting because there's no real concept of heaven or, so, or no real concept of hell or punishment. So it, I, I find it quite, quite um, um, positive in many ways. You know, with, with emphasis on giving and, and charity and 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 you know, I've got all sorts of Yiddish words in my vocabulary that would make no sense to somebody outside the community, but people in the community just get it. So you could say, oh, I'm really, I'm really um, uh, puts today, which which means I'm all dressed up, or or he's a mensch, or which is someone who's who's a good person, or I'm trying to think of others. Um, don't get brief. that's right.
0: My extension of Yiddish uh, understanding Yiddish comes from Robin Williams, Eddie Murphy, and Seinfeld.
1: Yeah, Eddie Murphy, I'm not sure is actually Jewish, but I, I take your point. <laughs> <laughs> But you, that's just,
0: they're my cultural touch points as far up, as getting anything. Yeah, I,
1: I don't think Eddie was, was a, a rabbi or anything, but I – Oh, not at all, but know, I that, know he co-opted cool a whole bunch for did. his comedy. He did, yeah, he did. Um, one of my favourite words is Yeah, you know, Don't get broigus with me. That means that means shitty, basically. Uh, there's things that just don't translate. So, you know, you're going out to your hoppets, which, which kind of means you're going out, you have to drive a long. You have to schlep out to your hoppets. You're driving a long, long way, basically. Uh, yeah
0: bro right and there's also right. i think in the
1: jewish in the jewish community there's a, there's a big emphasis on yeah culture culture so uh and education and and books and and of oh, theater the jews when they when they came out from from europe after the war a lot of jews sort of tried to create the the european society that that they had um that they're expelled from with going to going to theatre and going to the opera and stuff like that. And and it's still even, you know, generations down trickles through. It's just um yeah, we're really posh. No, not really. I'm <laughs> so not posh. I haven't got I'm about to talk about the theatre and opera. I don't think I've ever been to the opera and haven't been to theatre in years, but but I do read a lot of books, so yeah.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. I understand. And we that. have a great sense of humour. Yes. Well at least Robin Williams did. <laughs>
0: God bless him. Yeah.
1: Was he even Jewish? I don't know.
0: Probably not. No,
1: I don't think he was. Seinfeld is. Seinfeld, yes. Yeah, so that, that's good. Okay, we've got one out of three.
0: So well done. Mel Brooks, throw him in there.
1: Yeah, 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 for sure.
0: Kerry, what can't you tolerate?
1: Oh, wow. What can't I tolerate? Oh, my God. How long do you have? Um, No, I've actually become much more tolerant as I get older. There are things that I feel incredibly strongly about that I would – you know protest about and write about you know, things like um i mean the racism in the way that we treat refugees just demented uh things like um um anti choice movements you know i feel so passionately about women's right to to choose and um you know <sighs> women who don't identify it sounds so awful but women who don't identify with, with feminism who who so judgmental, but who seem to live the benefits of, of feminism but, but will refuse to not, you know, say, identify as a feminist kind of dement me a bit. Mm-hmm. But on a, on a personal level, I, I really can cope with most things these days but, the one thing I can't tolerate on a personal level is being accused of something I haven't done, and I find that really, really, really difficult it It makes me crazy. It's probably the one thing that actually makes me crazy in my personal life, and that happens online sometimes because you can write something and it can be almost willfully misinterpreted, and sometimes it's it's your fault you you write something that's ambiguous and and you've got to be so careful online in in making your, your point clear. Mm. Uh, but sometimes you can be willfully misinterpreted and it's just the worst feeling to be accused of of having an attitude that you don't have or of trying to to be nasty when you're not or something like that. I, I can't bear it. It's it's like that's that's what sends me right back to childhood and I want to scream and kick and cry and I'm not very good at, at dealing with that. Um, but most other things, you know, I can totally cope with being criticised and and I can cope with other people's opinions, even if I, I strongly disagree with them. But that, yeah, I find really difficult. <laughs> Clearly, I need to evolve a bit more.
0: <laughs> it's really interesting, isn't it? That, I mean, when you write longer form pieces online, you know, people, you've got the opportunity to express yourself, and hopefully, people understand what you mean and not misinterpret that, or or take the complete opposite meaning out yeah. of it. But when we look at a, a medium like Twitter, when you've only got 140 Mm. characters, it can be very easy for you to write, you know, sentence, statement with intention of A and persons B and C read it and they somehow glean two different and sometimes even counter uh, understandings of what you've written from just that one statement. And it's, well, like I'm all for the conversation in, in that context, but it can make for some very frustrating and awkward Explanation really sometimes awkward. can't
1: it? really awkward and particularly because you can only then explain in one hundred forty characters and something that I've learned from being an opinion writer is that you never ever ever are going to write something that everybody agrees with and that's fine you can't because there's nothing in the entire world that everyone agrees on nothing uh, there's no piece that I've ever read that everybody said yes that's great or yes I agree somebody will always take the opposite side and that's fine. What is frustrating is when people uh, interpret it as you being um nasty or or um or and, and I'm not saying this has necessarily happened to me with these particular examples, but I've seen it happen to other people. Um, mm-hmm. you know, with that people can interpret something as being racist or sexist or offensive or nasty when clearly the intent wasn't there and would oh, I see clearly? The intent wasn't there, and you have somebody protesting that it was just a, a misunderstanding. But of course, no one, no one's interested in that. People, people really like it when when other people, you know stuff up on on social media, and it's you've got to really have a, a thick skin, I guess, and but also be super careful. You have to be really, really careful. And I've written some things that have. Usually on Facebook where it's slightly longer form where I've written an introduction to something or just a short-form piece about an opinion and I've phrased it really badly and I've just got slammed. And it's always really confronting and you start to think, oh, why am I doing this? This is horrible. You know, I hate, I hate, I hate social media. But inevitably you move away and then you, you – calm down and get back into it but unfortunately we do all have to be really really careful
0: there there seems to be an overriding thinness of grace when it comes to uh, the the online conversation doesn't there sometimes it's thick and and that can be with you know your your tribe your people that you identify with uh, but broadly People don't give you that opportunity necessarily to say, oh, hang on, no, no, I meant this or no, no, yeah, that was a yeah. a, a brain snap from me. I, I apologise, I'm taking it away. People like to hang on to stuff, don't they? They
1: do. But I, I've noticed that I, I used to do that and I, I've looked back at my posts and the things that I've written about over the past few years and I think I have really, it's a silly word, but I've really evolved in my use of social media and my attitudes on social media. Some of the posts that I wrote years ago, I, I'm – a bit ashamed of now, where I really went, came down hard on someone for some perceived, you know, crime or or. You know, I remember particularly writing a blog post about there was a woman who said that um, people don't like her because she's too beautiful, and it got a lot of controversy at the time. And I just wrote a really nasty blog post about her, and it wasn't until I saw a follow up documentary about her. Much, much later, where I saw she was just this incredibly insecure woman in a really almost abusive relationship, and and I felt really bad. And and I really have tried, and I'm I'm going to sound holier than thou, and I'm certainly not holier than thou, as you know anyone who knows me will know. I'm very opinionated, but I really do genuinely try to look at, at both sides of things and to remember that there are people on the other end. Um, So I think I'm much more moderate, even when I have a strong opinion, I think I'm I'm much more moderate in my judgment of individuals uh, as opposed to issues because we're all just people. And also I don't really believe in this whole people are evil Thing I find, I think there are very few people in the world who are genuinely just evil. Of course, there are some. There are there are people who are who are sociopaths, but for the most part, the people that are discussed on social media aren't sociopaths. They're not evil. They just said something really stupid. And even you know, I hate this new thing because I've been on the dating scene, and I, I there's this there's this great um, wave of, of shaming people from dating sites, and women mm. do it. Um, men do it to a lesser extent, but men are horrible on the dating sites. You know, women will post screenshots of conversations with men on dating sites. And, you know, I, I know it's nasty. I know it's horrible. I get that. I've, I've been on the receiving end sometimes too. But on the other hand, these are usually just young guys who, who are uh, either stinging from rejection or or – um, high on bravado and I'm not saying it's okay their behavior but I'm not necessarily convinced that, that shaming online is the way to go either I just feel, feel really strongly that there's no privacy anymore we can't engage in any conversations that um, that we can feel sure aren't going to be shared on social media and I would just hate to think that I've engaged in a conversation with anybody whether it's a guy on a dating site whether it's it's you Steve offline whether it's a friend a teacher anything that can then as an act of of revenge or or um, or just to, to have a viral post, put it online. I don't like that trend. I think that mm. there should be things that are private. I think there should be things that are meant for social media and things that are private and the lines are completely blurred and it bothers me.
0: Are you on Tinder?
1: Oh, I've tried Tinder twice for about um, a week at a time and yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't work for me because I'm very – I'm not – as anybody who knows the men that I've dated will know, I'm not really – Um, overly concerned with looks Um, Mm. and Tinder's just all about looks. You can't assess somebody apart from their looks and, you know, I've dated many gone on one date with with some guys who are really attractive but just boring or, or, you know, not very bright and I would take brains and humour over looks any day, Um, you know, if there was both fabulous but but the the men that I've been involved with are generally very, um, very smart, very funny and not <laughs> particularly attractive. Um, it's
0: what I've depended on. My yeah, well, that's, uh, oh, life. I
1: find you very attractive, Steve. You know, I, I feel well we have that intellectual connection. Um, but really, I mean, I mean, so that's what Tinder. What does Tinder show me? Yeah, he's got a pretty face, but but mm. uh, you know, you then have to if you tick on everybody who's got a pretty face, and you know, get in these conversations where you realise there's nothing else, it's a waste of time, and it's very hard to how can you tell from someone's face if they're smart and funny, you know, you just it's, can't. So it's not, it doesn't work for me.
0: Mm, I know. I understand. And it would be, I'm sure considered to be a, a social faux pas if you went the reverse. And, and I say this as someone who doesn't use Tinder. I've never even yeah. had a I, I hear people talk about it. Um, to, to, to post instead of a picture of yourself, to post uh, I don't know, your university scores or something like that. If yeah. that was your picture, people would go, oh, yeah. talk about up yourself. But ah, the thing is
1: when I, I'm, right. I'm off dating sites at the moment because it all just, uh, I've lost interest for the time being. Well, um, actually
0: Madison did get hacked. That's so right, that. that's
1: right. Um, but, you know, when I was on the dating sites, the first thing I'd look at is I'd read their words and I'd look at look at their Interests and qualifications, things much much more than than their pictures. I, mean, I think I think looks are important just in the sense of there are some people that you look at their face and it's got nothing to do with a, an objective uh, attractiveness score. It's just mm-hmm. something about their face doesn't agree with you. Yeah. You know, you can look at and, and it's, it doesn't matter what gender. For me, it's women as well. You know, I can look at women and 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 just know. This person, I am not going to get along. There is something about her face that just doesn't resonate with me. And it's not—it's not about whether she's attractive or not. It's just something. Maybe it reminds you of someone in your childhood, or there's something on a really primal, instinctive level that is like screaming at you, no, no, no. But it's the same with men. I can look at—I can look at pictures of men, and they can all be at the same level of attractiveness, and some of them will will, will look nice to me in some way, but. Apart from that, when you get that really strong gut reaction, it, it's, it doesn't tell you anything. It doesn't tell you anything. And, and so I find all these you know, dating sites are so limited because, you know, you, you're really trying to assess somebody from, from pictures and whether they like The Big Chill. You know? I mean, if they don't like mm. The Big Chill, I wouldn't bother. But yeah, you know, so, some people, believe it or not, who, who do like The Big Chill, meaning the movie. It's one of my favorite movies. yeah. Mm. You, they're still they're not perfect, which is surprising, I know, but
0: Well, not everybody understands they, the classics right? They
1: don't, that's right. And I, I should I should be be compassionate towards people like that. You know, oh
0: humans of Twitter fact, by the way. That was Kevin Costner's first feature film and he didn't even get on screen. Oh
1: he did his wrist did. His
0: oh, wrist oh, yeah, but his that's, wrist the not recommend Yeah,
1: true. True, but they edited. They edited Stunt all the things that. He was just. He was just in the scene of the corpse. <laughs> it was such a good mm. film. Oh my god, I love that film so much. When um when they give um what's his name the the tall dude who was in the fly Jeff Goldblum when they give him yes. the, the sleeping medication to stop him cracking onto the yoga chick. <laughs> oh, that was great. That was
0: fabulous. Kids, if you haven't looked at it, it was on videotape, and it's probably on a subscription video service now.
1: Yeah, you must get it. You must.
0: Kerry, what are you going to achieve in the next 12 months?
1: I am going to get my fiction published. That's my mm-hmm. next great goal. Um, I, I, I'm very clear on what I want to do and that's that's what I'm working towards. And ideally what I'd like, really, and it may sound ironic being on a Humans of Twitter podcast, but ideally I would like to not be so reliant on social media. I would love in in the next yeah you know, in in the next decade or two of my life to be able to make a living just from writing books and and not have to keep up my blog and and Facebook and everything because it's it's been a long time now and it's it's quite it's quite exhausting, as you probably know mm. um constantly feeding the beast um and I'd like to go back to just using it for fun, which I did when I started,
0: yeah, that would be nice, yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, but so so that's what that's that's my next. Step. You know, there's only so long you can keep writing memoirs, as I said, because you, <laughs> you can't just keep pillaging your life. My life, my life has been interesting, but not that that interesting. Um, and Kerry Sackville's so I, third
0: autobiography.
1: Yeah, that's right. My third autobiography, which would would be about all my all my physical mishaps. How many times I've dropped things on my toes, and and why my finger has a, a bum on it, and. And the disaster last
0: was, week, I burnt the chicken.
1: Yeah, last week, I burnt the chicken. Yeah, and my hand in the process. Um, all the pimples I've squeezed.
0: Yeah, I, hey, that's that's a novella in and of itself.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I could do it in poetry form.
0: <laughs> Just in the third stanza, <laughs> Kerry talks about it, man, whatever.
1: <laughs> Why did I say that out loud? Oh, god. <clears throat>
0: Kerry, for people that do want to follow you, obviously your Twitter account is at Kerry Sackville. Yes, Kerry with an I. What other social accounts do you want to own up to?
1: Oh, gosh. I've got an Instagram account, but, you know, I'm not a great photographer. I just post silly things there. Uh, I'm on Facebook. as uh, My Facebook page is Kerry.Sackville. My blog is KerrySackville.com. Are you seeing like a, a pattern here? Kerry Sackville.
0: Uh, it's better than you writing under the name Mia Friedman, I guess. <laughs>
1: I do, I do. She, that, she's actually, she's. It's all my work. It's all a fictional, created that's person, right. and the
0: person we see on TV is is an actor. Yeah,
1: that's right. And I, I, I bring <laughs> all of her work, including her books and columns, and that I own the websites. I own the Mamma Mia Women's Network. Um, nice. Oh God, I wish. That, yeah, um, tell me about it. a bit, Yeah. Though that comes I, with I, a level of pain
0: yeah. that we don't have time um, to discuss. I'm sure.
1: Actually, that's that's true. Um, what else? Oh God, I'm on LinkedIn, but God, I don't know what LinkedIn's for. Do you? Nothing. I mean,
0: yeah. At the moment, I, you know how seriously I take LinkedIn? I, I've put all of my, you know, professional details and stuff yeah. up there, but my photo on LinkedIn is me with a very cheesy grin wearing a fez. <laughs> so if I ever <laughs> oh, lose yeah. the job that I have and I need to get a new, you'll know I'm looking yeah, for a job when that photo changes.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure you're going to be flooded with offers from a fez, quite frankly. No. But I get, I get LinkedIn off, like, connections all the time from, you know, the strangest places. I'm thinking I'm really not sure that we're going to have a professional work, you know, working relationship with me here and you in Uganda, but, yeah, why not? Sure, sure.
0: I reckon that LinkedIn, like any other social network, when people want to connect with you, it's just so that they've got that private means of communicating with you should yeah. they need to.
1: True. That's actually very True. Very, very true. Having said Without that, my, having to my, know your
0: email address or yeah, but my number my email
1: address is on my you know is on my blog. I mean, I'm pretty easy to contact.
0: Yeah, but your personal assistant vets all of that.
1: Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. Um, Prints my, it
0: out so you can read
1: it. Yeah, my personal assistant vets all of that while my masseur is is you know working on me and my my chef is is cooking the meals and what else? My oh, just my bevy of uh, of domestic staff are doing their duty. God, I'll tell you, if I had a personal assistant, I wouldn't have a pile of, of mail that that is probably about 30 deep at the moment that I'm too scared to open because I have a, a complete paperwork phobia. God, I'd love a personal assistant. If anybody's listening to this who wants to work for me for nothing, then, you know, <laughs> come and help me open my mail.
0: You still get letters?
1: I do. I still get I still get bills because they realise that when they email them to me, I just ignore them. <laughs> so now they
0: <laughs> –
1: I don't I do, Like I just – you know, they, they go down. Like when you get as many emails a day as, as we get, and when I say we, I mean anybody these days and especially mm. people who work in social media, um, I just – like the bill can come for the gas or the electricity or whatever – in my, in my inbox, but then by the end of the day it's buried 50 deep and I'm never going to find again. So I just kept leaving them and leaving them and and so now they send them out to me and so what happens is I just put them in a special envelope, like a big envelope that hangs on my wall and about once a month I open it up and
0: have a cry, have a work cry. out how you're going to pay it. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I, I really do. I need to psych myself up because I, I, it's just so traumatic um. Yeah, it's, it's my, it's my biggest challenge. I think is is paperwork. I just want to be sitting and being creative and writing all day. I don't want to be bothered by these,
0: these,
1: you know, these worldly pursuits.
0: <laughs> I can totally understand that. Well, Kerry, thank you, oh, you're and everyone. So this has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that Kerry Sackville is indeed human.
1: Well. Yeah, I am. It's true. But you haven't seen me at night when I turn into a werewolf. (laughs) Then I'm a werewolf of Twitter.